glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. First John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Verse 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. We're just going to park it right here for tonight and Focusing in on verse 4 in just a moment, I said last week as we come into this chapter, it, it is really connected back to chapter 2, verse 29, where it says, If you know that he is righteous, uh, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. The only way to do righteousness is to be born again. Righteousness proceeds from God. It does not proceed from man. Adam sinned, thrust us into sin. So if someone's doing righteousness, the only true explanation is they've been born again. Uh, unsaved people may feign righteousness, they may pretend righteousness, but an unsaved person cannot produce true righteousness. Then he talks about what manner of love that we should be called the sons of God, and and we are now the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, meaning it's not evident yet, we're not in our glorified bodies yet, and so really just to look at us at face value, there's nothing supernatural about the Christian. Uh, What is different, and what you'll find in chapter 3, what distinguishes us from the world is not some kind of a supernatural appearance. There's not a halo. There's not, uh, uh, there's not supernatural powers to walk through walls and go here and there. What distinguishes us is holiness. And we know that when he appears, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. It's talking about our physical state. We'll be no longer in this vile body, this corrupt body. We'll have a glorified body. 1 Corinthians 15 calls it a spiritual body. I don't understand all of that, and obviously the writers of the Bible didn't fully grasp it either. They said, we don't see it yet, but we will be like him. Now, if we have that hope in us that we're going to get a glorified body when Christ returns, every man that hath this hope in him does what? Purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Meaning, because we know we're going to be like him, we begin to uh, work, and work in our lives, because, not, not to get salvation, but because we have it, because we're the sons of God, and we know we're going to be like Christ, and we purify ourselves to conform to Him. Romans 8, 29, In whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. The person that has the hope of heaven, the hope of a glorified body, the hope of being like Christ, in that sense one day, the mark of that is purification of life. It's called sanctification. It's very practical in that application of it. And so, as John's going to move forward in 1 John chapter 3, he's going to talk a lot about sin and that whatsoever is born of God sinneth not. Uh, it's funny. You read that and you think, well, mate, my goodness, I'm born again and I've sinned. Maybe I'm not born again because if you're born again, you don't sin. Turn that around and try to argue against that. You're saying that something that God births does sin? Does God beget sin? It's a, it's, a, it's a firm statement. God does not beget sin. So when there's sin in our lives, it's not of God. Righteousness is of God. Sin is of the devil. And he's going to make that point. But if you're going to talk about sin, it's important to define sin. 
How many of us remember throughout the Bible, there's a number of people that would acknowledge, would use this phrase, I have sinned. That phrase is found throughout Scripture. Preached a series of messages on that some years ago. There are some who make that statement as a mere acknowledgement of, yes, I have met the criteria of what is defined as sin. I'm not planning on turning away from it. I think I have a good excuse for it. But yes, I have sinned. I would believe this. I think one of the great struggles in our mind is coming down to the conclusion and the judgment in our own mind, I have done something that qualifies as sin. Uh, I hear sometimes people say, uh, and you'll hear other preachers speak of this, well, I, I, I had a misdeed. I made a mistake. Though that's true. We make mistakes. But how many know that a mistake and a sin are different? You can make a mistake and it not be wrong because we're just flawed. But sin carries, carries with it the idea that we have done something against God. Sin has to do with the, the divine authority. And so all I want to do tonight, there's a number of scripture verses that define what sin is. There's much that the Bible says about judgment. Uh, there, is, there is the kind of judgment we're not to enter into you and I are not supposed to set ourselves up as one another's judges. We're not, we're not to set ourselves up as the authority to whom another gives an answer and judge not that we be not judged. I mean, it's not our job to dole out rewards or punishments. That's God's job. It is our job to respond to each other the way we're supposed to. But on the flip side of that, he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Jesus said, judge not according to the appearance, but judge Righteous judgment. May I say this? The, the theme that we're looking at in chapter 3 is the constraint of fellowship. Meaning because we're in fellowship with God, it constrains certain things in our life. And one of the points John's going to make is being in fellowship with God as a child of God constrains us to live holy lives. That's the constraint of fellowship. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth us. For we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which loved them and gave himself for them. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. And so the constraint of fellowship, because God has saved me, because I'm his child, it constrains me to live a life that is pure in his sight and holy. Well, if we're going to do that, we've got to define what's not holy. If we're going to live righteous lives because Christ is our Savior, there's got to be a clear definition of what is unrighteous. If I, if I know sin is the displeasing of God and I am to live a life that's pleasing, then I need to be very clear in my mind that what constitutes sin. Why do you think God in the, the Holy Spirit took such detailed uh, effort to define what sin is for us. Can anybody think why he might have done that? Why he went to such great lengths to give us numbers of scriptures that give a clear and concise definition of sin? If you've lived in a body of flesh for any length of time at all, this shouldn't be extremely hard for us to understand. We are easy on ourselves, and we're prone in our flesh to redefine terms for our own benefit. Meaning, I am prone, and you are too. I start to say, you may not be, but we all know we are. Instead of saying, I sinned and I know what I did is wrong, saying, well, I know this is sin, but I don't think that's what I did. I know this is sin, but I don't think that's... How many of us have a hard time telling somebody else that they sinned or seeing sin in someone else? We really don't. It comes very easy us to see 
what someone else does and how sinful they may be, or if they've done something, just say, hey, that's sin. Um, Romans chapter 2 talks about one of the, the, the problems in our sinful state is we either accuse or excuse. Either accusing or excusing. And that is in the context of God's law being written in our hearts. We know uh, the work of the law in our hearts, and yet we go about accusing, meaning you're a sinner. <laughs> you sinned, and that may be true. Or excusing. Well, I know I did this, but I don't think that was sinful. So God the Holy Spirit, to help us as His children, if love for Christ constrains us to live lives of righteousness and to not sin. Jesus told the woman in John chapter 8, Go and sin no more. He told the man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5, the same thing, Go and sin no more. Meaning God saves us not to a life where we can say, I am now sinlessly perfect, I never do wrong. But someone said like this, if you're saved, you are not sinless, but you certainly should be sinning less. Yes? Uh, you bear, that bears out with Scripture, meaning you should be growing in holiness, putting away sin, getting it behind you, not living habitually in sin. The Bible tells, tells us in Romans chapter 6, he that is dead, meaning you've been born again, so your old man is dead and you're new in Christ, he that is dead is what from sin? Freed. Meaning sin is no longer my master. Well, if I'm free, I believe much of the Christian experience is learning how to say no to sin because it's no longer my master. We were in a habit of sin before God saved us. It was as natural as breathing. But we have to learn now, no, I am free. I can serve God. But if we're going to do that, we have to define sin. This is where it brings us tonight. 1 John 3, 4 is one of the greatest texts on defining what sin is. I'm going to give you four points. There's numerous scriptures. I'm going to give you four points tonight that I think give a clear, uh, a four-sided view, a, four, a four-dimensional, if you would, view of what sin is. And the purpose for this is that we might be clear in our own mind in making a judgment on what sin is for the purpose of maintaining fellowship with our Heavenly Father. We know that there's no sin in Him. That's what John's going to say in verse 5. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. And from the definition of sin and the truth that in Christ is no sin comes the concept, well, if there's no sin in him, and we know what sin is, then to fellowship with him, we have to have a clear understanding. That's sin. If I engage in that, I'm not in fellowship with God. First of all, from our text here, sin is, number one, the disobedience of God's clear law the disobedience of God's law. What is the law of God? If you could wrap it up in, in, in a couple of short statements, what is the law of God? I, we don't mean specifically just the law of Moses. Certainly the law of Moses was the law of God expressed to the nation of Israel in writing, and it expresses much of the heart of God. But I believe the law of God is more than that. Romans 2 talks about His law written in our hearts. There is There is natural law. There's moral law. And... The law of Moses spells out that, but the law of God is basically love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, love thy neighbor as thyself. Romans says that the law is briefly comprehended in this, love thy neighbor as thyself. I find this, the longer I live and the longer I'm saved, the more it exposes how deeply rooted selfishness is in my nature. It is deeply rooted. There are times where I, will, I would have thought what I'm doing is entirely wholesome until God began to shine light and show motives in my heart that were not wholesome. 
then so then the idea is the law of God is, is good, but it's basically love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. All the commandments in the law of Moses are resting on one of those two principles. It's either about loving God, cherishing God, and living in a way that is delightful and pleasing to Him, or cherishing other people and living in such a way we're not damaging one another. And by the way, every New Testament principle is connected to the principle, and that's going to talk about this in 1 John chapter 3. It is connected to the principle of love. I'll say this, and don't lose me here, uh, but charity or genuine love and holiness are inseparable concepts. People today who are living unholy lives, it's amazing. Some of the people today who claim to be Christians living very unholy lives. They're living immoral lives. Many times they're living lives where they're, they're engaged in personal immorality and uncleanness. They have foul language. And yet, these are the people that seem to be preaching strongest. Well, we do this, we just want to love people. And when anyone is living an unholy life, it is not based on love. It's based on lust. We find uh, we find that all around us. True love, biblical love, is is going to be manifest and expressed through holiness. Meaning, true holy living. I won't do that, and I won't do that because either I know it expressly displeases God, or expressly is going to do damage to someone else, and therefore I'm not going to engage in that. I'm not going to go that way. But back to our text, uh, sin is in this definition simply disobedience. To God's law. Look at verse 4 again. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For, here it is, sin is the transgression of the law. When God lays down the law, uh, this is what is right, this is what is wrong, this is what I want from you, and this is what I don't want from you. When we do what God told us not to do, when we transgress the law, it's sin. Uh, when, I, uh, when a child disobeys their parents, it is sin. Uh, when a husband uh, is careless about his wife, it is sin. When a wife disobeys her husband, it is sin. When we as brethren are careless toward one another, it is sin. We'll say more in a moment about the sin of neglect. But here, sin is doing what God said not to do. And by the way, again, that's not just referring. I do not believe it's just referring to the law of Moses because we're here in the New Testament And we're talking about the law, meaning what God has told us to do. If it has come from God by the person of Jesus Christ, by His Holy Spirit as a commandment to us, and we are doing something He said not to do, then that is sin. So this should be very simple in our minds. If I'm doing something and my conscience troubles me, and I want to know, well, did I sin? I need to go to the Word of God and say, am I doing something God said not to do? Am I engaging in something He told me to stay away from? Uh, Am I doing something that I know through his word he has communicated he does not want done? And so then, very simply, how many of you think that eating a piece of fruit could be sin? Well, it was in the Garden of Eden. Do you know what made eating that fruit, and it was not an apple, but what made eating that fruit a sin? God said, don't do it. Transgression has the idea of stepping over a boundary. Stepping over a boundary. May I say this? Why should we have boundaries in our life? What should my boundaries be formed by? I mean, do I go back and I had a man call me this week, very interesting call yesterday, wanting to know, and I've never met this man. He never gave me his name. He wants to know. He said, you know, I've been, I've been reading my Old Testament. He said, I grew up Catholic. And he said, all we ever read was the New Testament. And he said, so I've been reading my Old Testament. He said, I'm finding in there 
that God says we're supposed to keep the Sabbath and based on today's calendar, that's Saturday, yet I've applied for a job and they're offering me a job on Saturday. I don't know whether should I take it. Am I going to be like really in trouble with God? He said, I, I, you know, I don't want to make God unhappy. I want him to be pleased with me. I said, that's a good thing. You, it's good that you want God to be pleased with you. He said, so I'm, I'm curious. So it was wonderful. Got to witness to him, give him the gospel, explain to him, you're not saved by keeping the law. I said, I'm ask you something. You pulled out one commandment. Are you keeping all of them? Well, to be honest, no. He said, but I just want, I want God, basically what he's saying, I want God's favor. I said, you get his favor by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He said, are you telling me that if I, and I've, I've never had a conversation so clear. Are you telling me that if I just simply believe on Jesus Christ, that I am, that God is then okay with me. And I don't have to worry about trying to keep all those laws. I said, That's right. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I never got his name. None of that. He thanked me, got off the phone, and said he's going to go take the job. <laughs> so point is this. Here's a man that says, you know what? Uh, if, I'm, if I'm disobeying God's law, I understand that sin. You go back into law, we have all these laws. Anyway, my, my, point, my point is this tonight. Sin... Is being in, in, in being disobedient to God's law. I, I, I lost my train of thought. You have to forgive me. Uh, but it, it ought to be clear. I began to say a few minutes ago. It ought to be clear in our mind. If God said, "Don't," I started to say this. Sin is crossing a boundary, transgression, stepping over a line. I began to ask, "What was? What would keep us from doing that? Is it fear of death? For us, the constraint is not fear of death. It's love of God." is I know God said don't do this and I love him, therefore I don't want to step beyond what he told me to do. Got a question. Is, there, is this the way it happens? God's told you as a Christian some things to do. He's told me as a husband, love my wife. Bring my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, he's told me uh, to not let uh, fornication or uncleanness or foolish jestings, these things, not to be once named among us. So not to engage in that. The moment I step across, lightning starts to fly and God stops me. Is that the way it is? The boundaries are formed in the heart and in the mind. And they're formed only by the word of God and how much I care about the God who gave that word. That's why chapter 3, we're talking about the constraint of fellowship. What I want to do is if I say, you know, God said do this and don't do this. God said, don't go here. Don't step across this line. Then I say, you know what? In my conscience, there's a line very clear that's formed by the commandment of my heavenly father. Let me say this. I, I can say this, and I've said this before as a parent. My children can be very well behaved simply because they fear getting a spanking. But that's not what I'm looking for. And if that's all I ever succeed at is very nice kids because they say, ooh, I don't want to do that. I don't like getting spankings. And I believe we ought to, the chastisement of God is to teach us you crossed a line, right? And he loves us enough to say, I want you over here because that's what's good for you. But if the only reason my kids ever obey is because, well, don't make dad mad. You know what they'll learn to do? They'll learn to disobey when I'm not watching. Truth? If the only way, but if they get to the point where they say, you know, I want to do right. That's why the Bible says children obey your parents in the Lord. Then it's not about keeping dad calm or from giving me a spanking. It's about I want to do right. Because I want to please God, and from a parent-child relationship, maybe I can't bear it when my dad's disappointed with me. I'd far rather my child say, it just kills me to know that he's disappointed or displeased. That'll keep that child in a path that's going to be a blessing to them, because they're not going to be constantly stepping over here. But when you and I transgress God's law, 
when we do what God told us not to do, it's sin. That's pretty clear cut, right? So sin is direct disobedience to the Word of God, if you would, to what God has told us, doing what God told us not to do. We could give a list as long as our arms tonight, but we're not going to do that. Just want to stay on the definition. So, excuse me, we have a consciousness of His law, especially if we're saved. God, the Holy Spirit, is living in our hearts to direct us and remind us that's something your Father doesn't want you to do. And so then, uh, disobedience to God's law is sin. Number two, deliberation of foolishness is sin. So direct disobedience. And these are not any specific order here tonight. We might change the order and so forth, but I just want to give you these as we're giving them now. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 9. So sin number one is disobedience to God's law, direct disobedience to God's commands. Number two, sin... And that deals with action. That deals with what we do. Uh, sin is also the deliberation of foolishness. How many of us know this? Before I deliberately do something, I think about it first. May I say this? And I, want, I, I hope this will help you tonight because I believe there's a number of people in this room that say, I really do want to do what's right. By the way, if you're saved, that's in you. There's also in you, I want to do what I want to do because you still have a body of flesh. If you say, I have absolutely nothing in me that wants to do what's right, you need to lay your life up next to the Word of God and ask the Lord to make it very clear to you whether or not you're His child. If there's absolutely no desire whatsoever to do what's right, when God saves you, God puts a new nature in you, and that new nature says, obey God. That's the Holy Spirit of God. There's something in there. May I say this? At one one of the worst points in my life, when I was not doing what was right, What caused me grief is I knew I wasn't and I knew I should. I knew I should do what was right. And there was even to some degree a desire to do what was right. I don't know that was ever lost. I got deceived and out of the way. But the fact of the matter is when God saves you, He puts a new nature in you. But I began to say when you are going to do wrong, you have to deliberate that first. Proverbs chapter 24 verse 9, the Bible says in verse 8, and these two verses go together. He that deviseth to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. He that deviseth to do evil shall be called an evil person. The thought of foolishness is sin. And the scorner is an abomination to men. I wish sometimes that folks would plan to do right as diligently as they plan to do wrong. I remember sitting here years ago when the office obviously was here and I could see out the window from my desk and a vehicle would pull my in the, the parking lot in the morning fairly early and then sometimes it would be another part of the day and then another vehicle would pull in and two individuals were meeting in this church parking lot and I just had to assume they were not married because they would meet secretly here very quickly and then they would go and you could tell they were very secretive about what they were doing and it became evident after seeing a time or two those people were up to no good. <laughs> Because they had planned, you could see it. I, I, I saw enough of a pattern, and thankfully it didn't continue, but I saw enough of a pattern to realize they're coming here to hide. They're coming here so they cannot be caught. How many bank robberies have been committed? I wonder how much deliberation went on ahead of time. Well, we've got to do this, and then we have to do this. How many adulterous affairs have been meticulously planned so that the mate wouldn't find out? This is what it's talking about. Uh, He that deviseth to do evil, meaning I sit and I spend time planning how to do something wrong 
so that I can do wrong and not suffer the consequences for it. I mean, you would just be humbly honest enough tonight to say, in my lifetime, I have devised to do evil. Every hand in this room should be up. Every person has. How many of you had to be taught? It's amazing to me. People that can't even plan to make their bed (laughs) can sure plan how to pull off some wicked deed. Isn't that amazing how what wonderful planners we are and how well we are at executing our plans when we're wanting to do something wrong? When it comes to doing something right, man, it's like having to hogtie us to get us just to put it on our schedule, let alone to plan for it. By the way, you want a good verse? The Bible talks about there's a blessing to those who devise to do good. Some people think that if you plan, you're not being led of the Holy Spirit. May I say if you're led of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to plan. You won't do right on accident. You'll have to do it on purpose. You have to plan to read your Bible. You have to plan to pray. You have to think about it. You have to say, here's the plan. If I'm going to read Genesis to Revelation, I have to read this many chapters a day for this many weeks. If I want to read the thing through, I've got to have a plan. I've got to execute it. We have no problem doing that. We're going to do something wrong. And the, what the Bible is saying, it's not just the committing of the act. It's not just the disobedience to God. Even planning to disobey God. That word thought there isn't just a foolish thought crossed your mind. <laughs> That's not what it's dealing with. It's, you put it in the context of verse 8. He that deviseth. Devise means you set up an, uh, an intellectual plan for executing, uh, accomplishing something. Verse 9. The thought of foolishness is sin. The word thought there means a plan. That's its first definition. A plan, especially a bad one. A heinous crime or a lewd act, mischief, purpose, thought, wicked-mindedness. That's what that word thought means there. A plan to do wrong. That's the thought of foolishness. And Listen, you know what? If you want to defeat sinful actions, you've got to cast down sinful thoughts. You can't sit there and think, how could I do wrong and not get caught? I remember years ago, I knew a young man and a young lady. They were forbidden to see each other. You would not believe the meticulous, calculated planning those two people went into to disobey and dishonor their parents. By the way, it caught them, caused a tremendous amount of heartache and grief and sorrow in their lives and that of many others. Though they planned diligently, it didn't succeed point is this tonight. He is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6 says this, uh, But though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every action, every thought to the obedience of Christ. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. If I can say something especially to all you young people here tonight. If you do not learn to listen to the Spirit of God and be temperate in your thought life, you're not going to do right in the rest of your life. It is Our actions begin in our thoughts. And you must learn to rein in your mind and get your thoughts under control and in subjection to the Word of God. When you begin to think something and you know it doesn't line up with God's Word, you've got to throw it down and say, that can't be right. That can't be right. That's not what the Bible says. I had a mental wrestling match earlier this week in my own mind, thinking some things through, and some thoughts were firing through my mind. and I wanted to come to some conclusions. And the Spirit of God, with His help, praise God, I thought, that cannot be a right thought. It can't be. Because the Bible says this. 
that can't be the right conclusion because that's in conflict with what Scripture says here. Friend, we've got to learn to be disciplined in our thought life. The thought of foolishness is sin. All right, so first of all, sin is the disobedience of God's law. Second of all, it's the deliberation of foolishness. Thirdly, it's disbelief of God's word. By the way, you'll never deliberate folly if you believe what God says. The only way we begin to entertain evil is when we think, well, I know God said, but I don't think that's quite right. I don't know that I agree with what the Bible says. I don't know what he says here. Look at Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. This is stated in the context of diet. We looked at these these texts here a few weeks ago about the body and the diet and what we eat and what we don't. So the context of this is whether we choose to eat something or not. But if I know something is connected with a vile act or a vile sin and I can't by faith partake, then the Bible says whatsoever is not of faith, that's belief of God's word. That's what faith ultimately is. Trust in God is sin. It's a disbelief in God and his word, his ways. Lack of trust in God is sin. We must understand that. Lack of trust in God is sin. Uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 23. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. How many things does God clearly articulate in and through his word to us? And then how many times do we entertain something that's opposite of that? The only way to entertain something that is in opposition to God, what God says is if we don't believe God. If someone says, I've trusted Christ, but I don't know that I'm saved. Well, somewhere there's a breakdown. God says that if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be saved. And so if God says that, I need to just take him at his word. If God says that idolatry... That covetousness is idolatry. And in some, in the back of my mind, I think, I don't know if covetousness is idolatry. Well, that's unbelief. God said it is. We go on down, through, on down the line. If God speaks, we're just to take him at his word. And whatsoever is not of faith is sin. First John chapter 5, we'll be there in a few weeks, a couple months, however long it takes us to get there. Uh, the Bible tells us, and this is the record, verse 10. Uh, verse 11, this is the record that God... Let me, go, let me go back to verse 10. That's the verse I want to see. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. So in 1 John 5, it says, You don't believe what God says about Christ. You make him a liar. It says in uh, 1 John chapter 1 um, uh, that we make God liars when we say that we have no sin in us. It says in um, uh, verse... Let's back up just a little bit. Verse 6, if we say that uh, we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie, uh, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So on and so forth. The idea is this. We make God a liar. We're saying he's not true when we don't believe what he says. And so disobedience to God is sin. Deliberation of foolishness is sin. uh, Disobedience and disbelief of God's word is sin. And finally, this is probably the most subtle sin. You hear me speak of it often because I do believe it's the most subtle sin. Simply disregard for righteousness. Simple disregard for righteousness is sin. James 4.17, we're familiar with this verse. James 4.17. I don't think most of us think... Failing to pray is as sinful as telling a lie. Do we? 
How many of us think it's just as sinful to not pray as it is to tell a lie? Somehow doing wrong seems more sinful than not doing right. How many of us think it is more sinful to steal than it is to refuse to give? Is giving good? I mean, I think it is more sinful to gossip than it is not to give the gospel. We do. I'm preaching this because we think it. We think gossiping about someone is worse than just simply not giving the gospel to somebody. How many of you know the Lord said, go into all the world and preach the gospel too? And if we don't do that, are we sinning? Is it good for someone to tell someone else what Jesus Christ did for them? Is that good? Oh, sure it is. It's good. I heard a man use this illustration one time. We teach young people, you know what? You want to touch somebody in a in a, a pleasurable way, in a sensual way, marry them. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. Isn't that what the Bible says? Nevertheless, to avoid a fornication, let every man have his own wife. So God's God's provision for the gratification of physical touch in that ma- in that manner, not talking about shaking somebody's hand, but touch for uh, that that manner is marriage. I heard a man say one time, said, well, you know, you teach young people to keep their hands off each other until they're married and so forth. But then he was railing on that, that position. And he said, I don't think it's sinful. So, well, is it good for them not to touch? Yes. Well, therefore, to him those do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. All right, until they're married, they keep your hands to yourself. You get in trouble if you don't. My point is this. There are things we know are good, and we think, well, if I don't do it, it's not a big deal. God says, again, James 4, 17, let's go ahead and just read it. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. This is the sin of negligence. This is the sin of simply disregarding what I know is good. Galatians 6, verse 10 says, As you have therefore opportunity, do good unto all men, especially to they of the household of the faith. God says, do good. Do what's right. Do what is good. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your... Good. Good has to do with that which benefits someone else. And so then we disregard what we know is good. I know it's good to be in the house of God. I know it's good to read my Bible. I know it's good to pray. I know it's good to give for the furtherance of the gospel. I know that it's good to tithe. I know that it's good uh, to give of myself and my time for someone else's benefit. These things we know are good. And simply not doing them is sin. To neglect to do what I know is good. I would say this point probably applies to more of us than any of the others. Not that the others don't apply. Mess something. Is it just as sinful to not devise good as it is to devise evil? Is it sinful not to plan to do right? Is it good to devise good? Yeah, it is. If we're careless about doing right, may I say this? If we are careless about doing right, we will do wrong. That's just the way it is. You cannot be neutral about doing right. You can't say, well, if it happens, it happens. We don't do that about other things in life. <laughs> and so then, to disregard what is right is sin. First John 5, 17, we'll conclude here. First John chapter 5, verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. Uh, we speak at that point, we get to chapter 5, about what the sin unto death is. The Bible, I think, makes that fairly clear. 
But the fact is, all unrighteousness, just because sin doesn't kill you immediately or God doesn't take you out over it, doesn't mean it's not sin. All unrighteousness is sin. How many times are we guilty? And I, I say this because this mentality has crept into our churches and our Christian mentality. Well, I know I probably ought to do this, but... Well, either we know we should... We know we shouldn't, but if we know we should, then let's do it. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So tonight, four things. Direct disobedience to God's commands, God's law is sin. Number two, deliberation of folly and foolishness. Devising to do evil, deliberation of foolishness is sin. Disbelief of God is sin and disregard for what I know is good is sin. Paints a pretty clear picture, doesn't it? How many times do we give ourselves a pass because we have calculated sin differently than God does? Now, the application of the Christian is this has nothing to do with whether or not you're saved. It has to do with whether or not you're in fellowship with God. You are saved. You've been, you put your trust in Christ, friend, you're saved. That's done. That's settled. That'll never change. But your fellowship is in the flux based on whether or not we're going to do what God doesn't want us to do, not do what he does want us to do. Fellowship is maintained by purification and living close to God, by refusing sin and doing what is right.